avoiding hypocrisy is what I'm going to talk about this morning. And wow, that's quite a big, big topic, really, isn't it? It's quite, quite something to be uh, thinking on and talking about. But hopefully, um, as we go through James, some of the quite practical points that I think he gives us will become very clear and probably challenging, but uh, hopefully clear to us this morning as we go through. So I'm going to read James from two translations. The first I'm going to read is from the English Standard Version. Um, that's probably quite small for you. It's cut off on the side as well. But if you've got a Bible in front of you, it's James 1, 19 through to 27. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Quite challenging words there. And I just want to read it from uh, another translation. It's called the Passion Translation. Uh, And the reason I want to read it from this is I think it gives some analogy, some of the heart behind what James is saying there that I think will resonate with a number of us this morning in the way we go about our lives. So it says this, My dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Be quick to listen, but slow to speak. And be slow to become angry, for human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. So this is why we abandon everything morally impure and all forms of wicked conduct. Instead, with a sensitive spirit, we absorb God's word, which has been implanted within our nature. For the word of life has power to continually deliver us. Don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it, for that is the essence of self-deception. So always let his word become like poetry, written and fulfilled for your life. If you listen to the word and don't live out the message you hear, you become like the person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. But those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty are fascinated by and respond to the truth they hear and are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessing in all that they do. If someone believes they have a relationship with God but fails to guard his words, then his heart is drifting away and his religion is shallow and empty. True spirituality that is pure in the eyes of our Father God is to make a difference in the lives of the orphans and widows in their troubles and to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. Uh, So to start this morning, um, I actually want to recommend another talk for you to go and listen to. And if you take anything from today, it's 
to go and listen to this other talk. It was on Tuesday at Refresh. Uh, Karen Case Green came and um, spoke, and she spoke on God speaking through his word today. And she demonstrated how God speaks to the many through the scripture, through the Bible that we have in our hands. But through this, she demonstrated how God's God's word provokes and challenges, but at the same time, it speaks life and breathes life into being. And she pulled this by going to Genesis chapter 1, where we see, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. He spoke, and then life was breathed out. Life was born. So if you take anything away from what I say this morning, go and listen to that talk by Karen, because I think it just really solidifies the importance of the word, the importance of the truth of the word, and what that does in our life. So it's not just something bland that was for thousands of years ago, but it is a life-transforming word for us today. But just as Karen said in her talk that the word provokes and challenges... I have a feeling that my talk this morning may provoke and challenge on a variety of topics. So there's my disclaimer out the way. If you get annoyed or you sit there feeling, I need to say something, send me an email later and I probably won't read it. (laughs) So be prepared and ready for the challenge. Because I, I really believe that God has been saying this week that he is unsettling some of us this morning as he prepares for us to shift up a gear. And I think what he wants to say this morning is probably going to challenge some of us and it's going to challenge our actions, what we actually go away and do from this. And I think it's going to uh, make us become a little bit aware of what he's speaking into today, what he's speaking into some of the situations that we encounter and we face out there daily, in the workplace, in families, in our neighbourhoods, in current climates such as the coronavirus. So what is it exactly that James says and how is it that it challenges us today? Well, um, I quite like understanding the definition of my words. So again, that's probably a little bit small for you. But um, looking at a definition of hypocrisy... I can't even read that. Wow, I made that small, didn't I? There we go. The practice of claiming to have higher standards or more more noble beliefs than is the case. That's quite challenging, isn't it? Think of that as the term hypocrisy. And this is what James is speaking into of what standards we speak about and how we live our life. Does it reflect what we say? So to start with, James calls us to a life of integrity. He says, live by what you say and live by what God says. He says, if you know this truth, live by it and remain firm to it. Be whole and undivided, living a life that is honest and not compromising your moral principles. It's quite a bar that he sets. And he pulls that out. Throughout that entire passage, we just see him constantly referring to be doers of the word, not hearers only, saying, if you've heard it, if you know this truth, do something about it. Don't just sit there. Don't just be passive. Do something about it. Hearing and doing the word, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And this passage in your Bible, it might subtitle it or give it the sort of the heading, um, Hearing and doing the word. That is kind of the essence of what this means to not be living 
in hypocrisy to be avoiding it to be living out of integrity is to be hearing and doing the word there is something that comes with both and we've probably heard this said to us loads of times before too particularly i did as a kid don't just say it do it show it if you say you're sorry do something about it i heard that quite a lot from my mother if you say you're sorry actually do something change and how is it that um James says that this word impacts our life, that this word changes us. Well, in verse 21, it says this, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And this is why I was recommending Karen's talk on Tuesday. He's talking about absorbing God's word, that literally having it implanted in us, living out this word, that once we have it in us, it is there, it remains in us, it's a very essence as part of who we are, just the same as our blood is in our veins, the word becomes part of our makeup, it becomes part of our DNA, it is in our veins. And I think he stresses how important it is to literally live God's word, for it to be implanted into our very being, to absorb it into, absorb it into our heart and mind, so much so that we constantly, we are constantly immersed in it wherever we go, so that no matter where we are, whether we have a Bible in front of us or not, we are living the word, we have it safe, hidden in our heart and hidden in our mind. And I really love this picture I found of someone's Bible. I don't know how they read their notes, but this person has clearly, well, hopefully, it's not just because someone's decided to just highlight and scribble, but they've clearly wrestled with it. They've, they've, They've sat there and read it. They've pondered over it. And the only time I've seen other people other than the Bible with texts like this is at university when people are really going through texts and trying to work out what something is saying. We are to really know this like the back of our hand to have it so deeply implanted in us and I'm not one for lots of rules and regulations and I don't believe that is the nature of what God is saying here he is relational he's not rule-based but I do believe and know that the way to be absorbing his word and his truth is to be immersed in it this means reading it and speaking it listening to it grappling with it and pondering with it And you might have tried to do this in many ways before. You might have tried, even this week, to sit down with the word and it just maybe didn't come alive or you really struggled to engage. And again, I'm going to recommend Karen's talk because not only does she um, highlight the importance of the word, but she then led us through. I don't actually know how long it was for. I was completely immersed in the words. She led us through this um, Bible meditation using the story of Moses and the burning bush. And I would really encourage you, if you really struggle to grapple with the word or you struggle to sit with the word, listen to her talk, do the exercise and begin to apply that into your daily routine. Begin to use other Bible verses uh, in the same way that Karen uses the, uh, the story of Moses and the burning bush. I made a note here, if you do anything from this talk today, make it to go and listen to Karen's talk, as this was pure fire. There we go. So, listen to Karen's talk. She's not paying me or anything, I I, I assure you. 
And the reason why we need to absorb his word and his truth is because it gives life. We, I mentioned earlier on in the story of Genesis that what we saw it refer to, God speaks and then life. Something is breathed into being. But we don't just see that in Genesis. We see it throughout scripture. We see the impact of God's word and the power that it carries. And I think James chapter 1 verse 26 shows the importance and power of words that we can use with one another. Uh, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. The tongue is powerful. And we will hear uh, later on in this series uh, on James and the power of the tongue or the power of words. So I won't go into too much of that other than to say heed James's advice. Be careful what it is you say. Be careful what it is you say over yourself and be careful what it is you say over others and, to be, and be careful what it is that you begin to repeatedly say because words can be a slippery slope that begin to alter our thinking patterns and affect our heart and our entire being with negative consequences. We can begin to say something over and over again and we begin to believe it and it begins to dictate how we live our life. And James, I believe, in in this passage points out that we can say things so much so, we can listen to another truth so much so that it begins to cause us to drift in our relationship with God and we actually drift away from him. Distractions can cause us to drift from God's word and from our identity in Christ. And distractions aren't just things that stop us from engaging in the word, although what Dave was saying last week is very important on that. I think a number of us probably can attest to the the distractions that stop us from actually sitting down and engaging with God's word or, or engaging in prayer. But it's also just things going on in the world today, the things that the world has to say that become the prevailing truth in our life over the truth of God. It says this, uh, which I'm going to quote from the Passion Translation instead to do with the distraction. It says, you perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. The word is a mirror to us, reflecting back what it is that God is saying about us. We see throughout scripture what God calls us as his people that he has made us. It shows us how we've been made, who we've been made to be. The word has it all there. We don't have to wrestle for our identity. We don't have to struggle because the word says who we are. We can fully and confidently trust the word. The word doesn't lie. It tells us who we are. And his word also shows us who he is and what his will is. And the world seeks to numb us to that. We can see in so many situations and cases where the world simply seeks to distract you from what God is saying and from the truth that God says. And then when we step away from the word, if we haven't got the word securely implanted in our heart, as James says, to absorb it, to have it implanted, the world then instead will throw its truth at us. What it says to be real, and if we haven't got God's truth held close, then we can easily forget the detail of the truth of what God has said. And I want to show this through a passage in Genesis, which Silas um, pointed me to earlier on in the week. 
So there's a church in um, Texas called The Porch, which is uh, a planted church from another church. And this church is specifically um, geared up towards reaching 20s and 30-year-olds. And one of the things it says is it has an amazing opportunity because these are people, this is a generation that haven't grown up in church. This is a generation that don't know the truth. So the minute they get them in, the minute they see Jesus, come to accept Jesus, they will deliver the truth and they will deliver the truth hard. There are things in their sermon series that I've not heard preached in the UK church for a long time. And I think it's challenging, I think it's thought-provoking, and I think it's probably a sense of maybe a challenge for us today of what are we not saying, what are we being afraid to say. And there's a one talk from November by a guy called David Marvin, and he was going through Jesus's bloodlines, and uh, he started off at Adam, funnily enough, um, and it referenced Genesis, and I think this is so apt as a parallel to James chapter 1, 19 to 27. So in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, uh, it's a story of God and in creation, creating Adam and Eve, creating the world. And we see in it that the word is lived. God is literally speaking and stuff is happening. Adam and Eve also walked daily with God and they heard from him and encountered his, his truth. They lived the word daily. They encountered the living word of God daily. And also, for what we gather from the from chapter 2 particularly, is that they did what God said. God spoke over them. God, God said with Adam, let's name the animals. God did all these things with them, and they did it. They didn't uh, question. They just did what God was asking. They were there with God, doing what he said. So they held his truth close. They held his word close, and they did it. They lived by it. But then along comes the serpent who distracts them from the truth. And this is similar to verse 24 there. I'm now going to read it from the ESV. Uh, But for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. What does the serpent do? He causes them to forget. He causes them to forget the word that God has spoken. And I think it's very interesting to look at how the serpent does this. So throughout chapter 2 of Genesis... Uh, And this is what David Marvin talks about in his talk. And I had never thought about it in this way before, so I went away to have a look. And it is so there. I've never seen it before, but it is there. The name of God that is used is Lord God. And this is included in verses 4, 5, 7, 8, 9, 15, 16, 18, 19, 21, and 22 of chapter 2. And that's every single time it refers to God's name. It's Lord God. And in the um, Hebrew, it is basically how we've translated it as Yahweh Elohim. So it was a close term of this God. And then it carried on into chapter 3 as well. Verse 1 said, Lord God. Verse 8 said, Lord God. Whereas, in the exchange between the serpent and Eve, the serpent omits the full name of God. He drops the Yahweh, he drops the Lord, and he just says, God. Did God say? Not did the Lord God say. Did God say? He just uses the Elohim. And what he's done is he's dropped that closeness. The Yahweh, the I am. He's dropped the closeness 
of God and he's created God as this distant God. This God that is irrelatable, this God that we cannot relate to, that doesn't understand us, that is not personal or with with us, whose word isn't alive, and he questions it. And interestingly, in Eve's response, Eve uses the word God back. She has clearly forgotten what it is that God has said, and she uses and responds with the name that the world, the serpent, has given God. There we go. Genesis 2, 15 to 17. So you see this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And this is Eve's response. And you'll also notice something else. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. I didn't see God say, you must not touch it. Eve has forgotten the word, and she's forgotten so much so that it's become twisted. She can't quite remember what it is that God has said. The truth isn't clear the truth of the reflection of what God is saying isn't clear. And I think within this as well, we see, uh, I've got the names there, the Hebrew, I've already skipped past that. So this is the Hebrew of Yahweh and the Hebrew uh, of Elohim. But skipping past uh, those Hebrew words, it's not only Eve that is forgotten the word of God here because throughout the entire exchange Adam is stood there with Eve and what does Adam say? Nothing. Adam says absolutely nothing throughout the entire exchange. He's forgotten the integrity of what it means to live by God's word. He's forgotten what it is that God has said himself and he's then forgotten to live out of faithfulness to God in response to this. And so he remains silent throughout the entire exchange between the serpent and Eve, never once reminding her of the truth of what God has said and who God is and never once challenging the serpent what the world was saying. And bearing in mind God's character was questioned when the serpent changed the name by which to refer to him. That was the world questioning who God was. And then we see the first thing Adam does when the Lord God shows up again, and that's when it begins to refer to Lord God again. First thing Adam does is he points the finger and goes, it was her. It was her. Yet he had the same responsibility to live by the truth of God's word. And the first thing he does is he points the blame It's not me, it was her, it was this woman that you gave me. Not me. So there is a challenge here about integrity too. Again, I can't read that, but the definition, the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, the state of being whole and undivided. It can cost us to live by truth. It will cost us to live by truth. It would have cost Adam, it probably would have cost Adam We don't know. He didn't say anything. But it might have been simply that the cost is, I have to stand up and maybe I have to look a little bit like a fool. Or maybe I get slightly shunned by people. Or maybe they 
no longer want to be my friends. It could be even further than that. I, there's a there's an American uh, worship leader who um, ran for Congress in the recent uh, elections, and half of his family cut him off because he said, I'm standing on biblical truth, and this is what I'm running for, and they wouldn't associate with him. could be so much so that our family turn our back. But I think this passage from James stresses that we need to be people of truth, God's truth, and people of integrity. And for me, this was uh, a number of years ago, back in 2016, I was actually exploring uh, ordination within the Anglican Church, and I was at uh, what they call a BAP, a Bishop's Advisory Panel. And there's a whole load of things you have to go through over the, the two days. But one of the things is you get interviewed by all the people that are there. And I shared my life story. I knew I needed to be integral to that, and I shared what God had done. And part of that was I shared healing that I had encountered from past behaviors, thoughts, and actions. And I didn't water it down. And that then got questioned. And I then got pulled back into another room. And it was, did God really do? Ah, okay. And hence why I no longer, I don't have a collar on. I was like, no, I can't, I can't pursue that anymore because they said, this is what you need to do. You need to go to psychotherapy. You need to X, Y, Z. And I said, I'm not going to. I'm not going to water down the truth of what I know God has done in my life and what he said to me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to allow the truth to be hidden or twisted to make it seem more palatable to a world that wants something more palatable. That's not what we have to do. So it's been an important principle that God has pressed in on me. It's something I have lived by. And I think we need to be seeking the truth out as our first port of call in his word. And I think we need to be seeking his truth even in the stories that we hear in the media. And I think this is so true uh, with what we're hearing at the moment with coronavirus. Now, disclaimer here, I'm not saying let's not be wise. Yes, let's wash our hands. Let's be Hygienic. In fact, read Leviticus because it's got lots of hygiene principles in it. It's fantastic for that. Uh, go through and read it. The Bible is there. It talks about all this hygiene stuff as well. But what is it that we are spreading? And I shared this on Facebook this week and I loved it. Because actually, we have a choice of what truth we live by. We have a choice of what kingdom values we promote. Viruses are contagious. So is panic, fear, hysteria, calm, love, enthusiasm, kindness, joy. Choose wisely. That is what the Bible says. The Bible tells us what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The list runs out there in my head. It goes on, I do know. Um, It doesn't say the kingdom of God is fear. Fear is the kingdom of darkness. And coronavirus, what is it doing? Well, other than spreading disease and death, it's also spreading fear. And fear is not a mantra we are to live by. Fear is a symbol and sign of the kingdom of of darkness. And let's not be part of the mass viral spread of fear and panic. If things go into lockdown, which they may well do, Let's be people that are out there seeking to love our communities, seeking to go to those that are isolated, deliver packages, whatever it might look like. But let's be a kingdom that represents something different. The same, um, 
the same worship leader that I mentioned uh, did an Instagram um, story to do with um, the coronavirus. And he said this, the world is being shaken right now. The world is in a panic. And it's in these times that they look for the people that belong to a kingdom that won't be shaken. This is our hour. This is our hour to live by the truth and to live by what it is that God says and to promote that, to live by it, to be doers of the word, not just hearers, to stand up for the truth. And so one of the things that happened to me at Refresh on Tuesday as part of um, Karen's meditation on the word was I felt God say this, which is very poignant considering what I was going to be sharing. He said, you are a truth carrier, truth bringer, and a truthful one. Uh, which I thought was very pertinent considering the theme I was talking on this Sunday. And I think this is something, he does call that obviously over individuals, but it's something he calls his church. His church is the truth carrier, the truth bringer, and the truthful one. We have the word implanted in our hearts. We should be delving into it. We're learning from it. We are immersing ourselves in it. We carry the truth. And I think this is very true with a whole host of themes that we face in our society and world today, that we are to be truth carriers, truth bringers. And the truth can at times be difficult, but God works to bring life to it. God's word will bring life. It might challenge, it might provoke, it might be really difficult to palate to begin with, but it will, it will bring life. God doesn't speak, you are rubbish. But he might challenge a behavior. He might challenge a thought pattern and see life come out of it. And we could very easily shy away from what God is saying, but it takes courage for us to stand up for his truth and his word in the face of opposition and, I would say, an increasingly hostile world, certainly Western world, to his truth. We are to stand up for the truth and remember what he says and to hold him near and dear. And we are not to forget the promises of his word or the truth of, of his word or who he lives by. Or who he is, sorry. And verse 27 of James 1 said, True spirituality that is pure in the eyes of our Father is to make a difference in the lives of the orphans and widows and their troubles and to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. We are to live the word. We are to see his kingdom come. And we are to not be corrupted by the world's values, by the world's truth. And so I I want to finish with something that might be very challenging. And again, I'm going to add a disclaimer of what I'm not saying. Um, But one of the things that I think uh, I've, I've been studying this term has been looking at mental health and medicalization as part of my university degree. And one of the things we've touched on is looking at pharmaceutical companies and a lot of the corruption and the lies within pharmaceutical companies. And it it led in part to me finding out information to do with uh, vaccinations and things like that. Now, this is where my disclaimer is. I'm not saying vaccinations are wrong. Vaccinations are fantastic. Let's make sure we don't have the spread of diseases, yes. But interestingly, one of the things we just take for granted is what they put in them. And it was as I was exploring and going through this stuff that I realised... There's stuff that the church says that these pharmaceutical companies, that big businesses do not stand for, and where is the voice of the church? So one of the examples is this. You won't be able to read that. 
But in a number of the vaccinations that we give in the UK, they include aborted fetal cells. Now, that might be okay for some, but for me, there was everything in me that went, there is something so wrong about this. So in the UK, it's only in three. It's in the chickenpox, the shingles, and the MMR vaccine. And I really felt God saying, if you say that you value life, and you say that you value every life, where is it here? And the reason why I have used this as an example is because in the early 2000s, the world actually, or the UK, didn't like the fact that there was a mercury component included in a number of vaccinations. So they spoke up and people began to lobby and campaign and that is no longer in vaccinations. Vaccinations are made without them now. Where has our voice been when it comes to things like this? Because it may well be that it's just happened because it's the easiest thing to do. In fact, I think it is because the the aborted fetal cells date back to the 1960s. They're the same aborted fetal cells being cultured from the 1960s from a three-month-old girl and a five-month-old boy. And I think there is a challenge here. I've not done this as any sort of scaremongering or anything like that, but I've done it to, to show you actually the truth that it sometimes will take courage to stand up and say, this isn't how we want to live our lives. This isn't the kingdom we want to promote. And we actually want to stand up for something different. True spirituality that is pure in the eyes of our Father God is to make a difference in the lives of the orphans and widows in their troubles and to refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. So Ian, can I invite you and the band up? This morning, or over the course of this week, for this morning, I've really felt that this is the particular thing that God has been saying I believe he's calling many to stand, and he's been speaking to people here this morning, as you're sat here this morning, but I think there's been a number of you who, almost over the last couple of weeks, the theme of truth, standing up for truth, has just been a recurrent thing. It's come up in conversations, it's come up in your thoughts, God has been speaking it to you. And he might have been asking you, what does it mean for you to take a stand in this? What's it mean for you to speak out in this situation? I think there are specific situations here. Even at a huge cost. Even at sacrificing reputation and friendships. So uh, can I just ask, I know this is going to be quite brave of a number of us. But if you are really feeling God is calling you to take a stand for truth, can I ask you to stand Well, I believe God wants to come and just pour himself out upon you. So if you remain standing, I'm going to ask the people around you, if you're okay with it, to lay hands on you and pray for his presence to come and for him to anoint you in this as we go into worship. Because he is with you and he wants to be with you in this. So Father, I thank you for those uh, particularly who stood this morning and I thank you for the situations you've placed on their heart. And Father, I thank you, I thank you that you are good, that you are a God of truth, and you have spoken truth into their lives and into their minds. So by your presence, would you come? Your presence pour out on them now, we ask and pray. Draw near.